Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode, I speak to comic book podcaster and thoroughly nice chap, Eamon Clark, about what comics he would take into an asteroid impact apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene, where you can read comic news and become part of a comic community of fellow comic lovers. To find out more, be sure to visit comicscene.org. And on a side note, if you enjoy the show today, please leave a review for us on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast service you use. It's not only willing to know that you liked it, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well through the algorithm. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Eamon Clark. How's it going? Uh, it's great, Sam. Very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. It's 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 been too long since we last spoke, um, and I say that tongue in cheek because because Eamon and I just recorded um, his his podcast, Mega, Mega City Book Club, um, and uh, yeah, no, so we we had a good chinwag um do, doing your podcast and and now we're uh we're swapping roles and i'm in the interviewer seat and you're in the guest seat splendid stuff all ready for it <laughs> awesome so for anybody that hasn't come across you just yet uh what do you do in the world of comics so i do two things firstly since 2016 i have done a fortnightly podcast called as you said mega city book club uh, my beat is mainly uh, sort of starting with 2000 AD, but generally British comics um, is what I cover. And format similar to yours, Sam, in that once a fortnight I have a guest on, they pick the book we're going to talk about. Um, as I say, it's usually a 2000 AD title or a classic British book. Um, we occasionally follow British creators across the, the pond to their sort of like uh, North American comics as well. Um, although strangely enough, I do get the odd, the odd murmuring <laughs> about that when I do an American comic, because <laughs> people say quite rightly, I suppose, that there are a lot of American po- comics podcasts. But anyway, so my beat is British comics, <laughs> Mega City Book Club. It comes out every two weeks. You can find it wherever you can find uh, comics for the apocalypse. I'm guess uh, is what we're going to say in all popular podcatchers. Yeah. And then the other thing well. is. That since, uh, well, since last year, I have been the second editor of a charity anthology comic called DUI, or Drawn Under the Influence. Um, It started out from the Awesome Comics podcast community, which was running drink and draw socials during lockdown. And somebody suggested that they should do a comics anthology of their own. And Sarah Harris uh, took on the editorship for the first issue, which came out uh, in 2021, I guess. Um, and then last year, 2022, I took on the editorship and put together a 60-page A4 uh, comic filled with short comic strips by nearly 60 creators. And um, the first one raised money for Refuge, uh, the sort of domestic violence charity. The second one raised money for Cancer Research UK. And there's going to be a third issue this year, 2023. There'll be the third issue of DUI 3. 
And this is excellent timing, Sam, because we've literally just opened the submissions window. So if anybody is interested in right. doing a short uh, comic strip, anything up to five pages, something new, something that you own, so not licensed characters, but, you know, um, three panel gags, half a page, one page, five pages. Uh, if you're a writer looking for an artist or an artist looking for a writer, get in touch with me. Um, and it will be out later in 2023 as the third issue. And I'm sticking around as editor for yeah, to do this one at least. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, yeah, no, I've I've got a copy of, of DUI 2 um, and uh, it's it, it's brilliant. It, you just got so such eclectic stories in there. Um, but uh, I got to say, my my favourite is is John Ottaway's. Um, and uh, that's the yes. one where it's John, J- Johnny kills the ACP boys, yeah. <laughs> basically, so um, which, awesome which is comic, a lot of fun. Yeah, if you know the Awesome Comics podcast guys who've been on this podcast, all of them individually, I think, Sam, um, great bunch of people yes. supported in small press comics. And yeah, they do get rather viciously bumped off in one of the uh, the, the two pages in this book. But yeah, we've got sort of like slice of life comics. We've got science fiction comics. We've got horror comics. We've got some, you know, funny strips in there. Um, Anything at all. If you're interested in being published, and it definitely will be out this year, um, and it's all for charity, so everybody basically is contributing their work for free, then send me an email at duicomic3 at gmail.com and get in touch. We'd love to have you fantastic um and of course i'll put all of those uh those links and whatnot into the uh into the show notes where you will also be able to buy a copy of um of dui 2 um physically and and dui 1 digitally i believe on the big cartel um and uh get some get some money to charity as well yes we're still there's still money's still going to charity all of dui 1 sold out so it's only digital now still got hard copies of dui 2 uh but yeah as you say go to the big cartel you can buy a hard copy or you can get both of them uh digitally for three pounds for the two and that three pounds goes straight to cancer research so uh great stuff and thank you for buying your copy sam Hey, no worries, man. It's an absolute pleasure and uh, always happy to support charity, but also, you know, the, the, the work that the the creators have, have put into into the book as well, you know, um, not that they're getting paid for it, but like to see it physically, it's, it's absolutely brilliant and a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And the one thing we can guarantee is that every creator gets at least one complimentary copy in their hands, um, you know, as a, as a thank you for doing nice. their work for charity. Yeah. Very cool, very cool. Uh, now that aside, um, you you are cur- you're going to be taking on DUI three, but at the same time, unfortunately, we've just learned that an asteroid is headed our way, um, and uh, it's 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 imminent. And so, my my question for you is: What is your action plan for survival in an asteroid impact apocalypse? Well, DUI three might be scratched. I think I might be scratched, actually, um, Sam. I think I'm, you know, I think I'm probably going to die. I'm afraid. <laughs> I don't have the prepper plan. I don't have the go bag or any of that stuff. I, I'm, I'm not sure about holding up in the shopping mall while 
hordes of the bad people who've all taken to wearing, you know, mohawk hairstyles and nose chains and on, in, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> I did because it's a it's an asteroid impact apocalypse. I did actually look it up. I, I found an article on Wired, which I th- I think is a reasonable um, cool. resource, and it said. Firstly, you need to be on the other side of the uh, the planet to the impact. Mm-hmm. Then you need mm-hmm. to go somewhere very high ground and then get underground, and you need to do that immediately. And I live in the Cambridgeshire Fen, so I'm not really going to find any high ground. Um, I'll tell you what's up the hill, though. There is a slight hill up from us, and it leads to Ely Cathedral. And Ely Cathedral... Um, an immense building has stood there for about, I don't know, 700 years, I guess, something like that, on Bilal. Um So I reckon I'm probably, not that I'm religious, but I'm thinking it's a big, strong building. The people who go there, I'm hoping, are going to be the good guys, which is where I want to be. Yes. So I'm going to wander yeah. up to Ely Cathedral and hang out there and hope that's where the good people go. And that the biker gangs and the punk gangs who are roaming the streets in any apocalypse, it seems, um, will be kept out by the big wooden doors and all that. That's my plan. Not much of a plan, but, you know, it's what I'm clinging to, Sam. Here's something. Yeah, totally. Um, You've got direction there, and that's sometimes all you need. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, no, so you, you managed to hunker down. In, in the cathedral and uh, you get chatting to, to some of the other people that have made their way there as well and you, you get chatting about you know your, your backgrounds and, and what you do and what you enjoy and uh, you get onto the topic of, of comics and to, to spark the conversation um, your, your fellow um, uh, preppers in the, in the cathedral um say ask uh what's the first comic you remember enjoying so it's the comic that my parents bought me which is always a great introduction um i could probably take you physically to the news agents where they used to buy it it is um it's a very old comic because i'm a very old guy sam it's the victor which was a weekly british anthology comic um let's be honest it was aimed at boys it was i think um, for a while called the victor comic for boys um it ran from 19 i looked this up 1961 to 1992 uh i'd have been reading it in the late 60s early 70s it was that classic british weekly and it had a bit of everything there'd be a war story um which incidentally i found out was um, was telling the stories of people who'd won the Victoria Cross, which is where it got its title from. Um, there'd be a ah, war story. Right. Got, yeah. There'd be an adventure story. Yeah. There'd be a f- couple of humorous one-page strips. There'd be, there might be a boys' school story, and there'd be a sports story. And the one I remember, the one I sent you an image of earlier today when we were swapping emails, was there's a character yeah. from British comics called Alf Tupper, the tough of the track. And this was, we don't seem to get sports comics really very much anymore, but this was a weekly sports comic about this working class uh, amateur middle distance runner called Alf Tupper, who trained on fish and chips, 
worked as a fabricator welder, um, was always dossing down in, you know, basically anywhere he could find to sort of like lay down and sleep. And he was that um, plucky sort of classic British middle distance runner. He was always coming up Mm -hmm. against the posh, um, the posho lads from the local athletics club who all would look at his tatty kit and his frankly terrible diet of fish and chips uh, and also (laughs) the fact that of course he had to work for a living and then they would have a race and it would usually end there was a first you know there was a certain um weekly formula to these sam you know it was certain a certain amount of repetition but it would usually end in a sort of chariots of fire fashion with alf somehow just coming from behind to to pip them at the line and win the race brilliant and then and then basically you'd see him the pattern the comic would end with him walking home eating fish and chips out of the newspaper heading back to (laughs) the welding hut where he happened to be working where he was dossing down and I loved Alf Tupper. I still love Alf Tupper, the tough of the track. Um, that was the comic that I first remember really enjoying. All the other stuff from the Victor, to be honest, I can't really remember. But Alf Tupper has stuck with me. And I'm just going to quickly mention before I, I, I shut up, honestly, um, probably created by Bill Blaine, but written by uh, Gilbert Lawford Dalton. And the artist... Um, he jumped from a couple of comics, but he ended up in the Victor. And the artist I remember is Pete Sutherland, who sort of did the definitive Alf Tupper. And I have got that uh, that mm. Pete Sutherland print on my wall of Alf in characteristic fashion, thinking about what he's going to get for his supper when he finishes his training. Um, so that's the first one, Sam. A blast from the past, from British uh, comic history. That's fantastic, and uh, I love I love that idea of yeah, this like young young guy that's a welder and eats fish and chips, beating all of these posh boys. <laughs> it's good it fun. Was, and, it was just uh, on that on that print. I see that he's he's possibly get, he's got a yeah no totally. I just see that he's got a, like a he's got a wolf logo on his red shirt there, or at least I think it is. So does that mean that he's from Wolverhampton? Or... Well, the wolf shirt, the, the origin of the wolf shirt was it was the only athletic shirt that Alf could afford. And he found it in a junk shop window or a oh, charity no. shop. I don't think they had charity shops back then, but he found it in like a an old junk shop. No. Um, and it was the only thing he could afford. And he had mm. the wolf logo. Um, he would do for a Wolverhampton welder, actually. Um, I was never quite sure exactly where yeah. he came from. But the wolf thing, yes, that was just like it was literally the only kit he could evolve, he could afford, and it became his oh, um, his sort of like logo thing. That's cool, isn't it? And it's like it's almost like that's a that's like a you know understated British version of Superman or something. Yeah, you yeah. Know? like he's got he's got an emblem on it, like but he got it from a bargain shop. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's a, he's a working class superhero um, who nearly always wins his races and has got has got the costume. His costume came from just happenstance. It just like that's what he hadn't happened to see in a bargain shop and he could afford. And that's how the costume was designed. It's great. That is awesome. That is so cool. 
very nice um and yeah so obviously that's kind of yeah what you what you really enjoyed as a as a, as a young lad and um from from there um where where else did the the love of comics come from so the 1970s black and white marvel uk reprints of all the classic american uh, comics the 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 Stanley, the Jack Kirby, the Steve Ditko's, the Bessemers, the Ramitas. Um, it was all those basically in the 70s. And then, of course, 2000 AD comes along in 77 and blows everything out of the water and causes a major shakeup, both in British comics, but also sends ripples across the pond to America. Um, and then I follow the British invasion of creators uh, across the pond to some of um i'm going to say some of the greatest comics ever produced which we're going to you know we're going to mention a few of them in a moment in a sec yeah fantastic um now having having said it talked about kind of like the british invasion before before uh we we get into those um the next question that comes up is what's the funniest comic or the most laugh out loud moment in a comic that you've read so I'm not sure, I, I can't remember if Alf Tupp has come up on the podcast. I know that my next choice has come up on your podcast before because mm. Bill Waterston's 10-year uh, stint as a American newspaper comic strip artist and creator on Calvin and Hobbes is one of the most singular creations in graphic arts of all time. Um Strangely enough, when I was having one of my sort of grown-up adult breaks from comics, um, and I was instead raising our young, you know our kids, we were raising a young family, and mm. a friend of ours who knew I sort of liked comics said, "Have you read Calvin and Hobbes?" and passed us the very first Calvin and Hobbes collection, which would come out every year um, from across the pond again. And so Calvin and Hobbes, for anybody who doesn't know, is the story of a six-year-old, an anarchic six-year-old called Calvin, who has a toy stuffed tiger called Hobbes. And the great gag, a very sort of like obvious one, is that when nobody else is looking, Hobbes the tiger comes to life. And their adventures um, over those 10 years of strips with the, the big colourful Sunday page uh, ones that he would do and then the, the sort of like the four panel or uh, three panel black and white ones he would do dailies they're just wonderful they are they contain adventure they contain excitement they contain some scary bits some sad bits but they are the funniest things and I've told this story on another podcast Sam in our family I'm pretty sure that my son and my daughter learned to read by reading Calvin and Hobbes. Um, and it became, when Brilliant. the new collection arrived, it became the hottest book in the house. Everybody wanted to read the new Calvin and Hobbes. The kids would steal the book. They would, they, we, this is a joke in our family, they would hide the book under the bath mat in the bathroom because then they knew they could <laughs> get the book and read it when they were on the loo. Um, you know... <laughs> Where do we le- where do we learn to read? We learn to read sitting on the loo, looking at looking at books that we've nicked <laughs> from our parents. Um, and so Calvin and Hobbes is a that sounds like an Alf Tupper thing to do. 
It does, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) So Calvin and Hobbes, um, there's a great joke. I mean, if you think about the laugh out loud moments, there's a great joke where Calvin asks his long-suffering parents where they keep the chainsaws. And when they tell him that they don't have any chainsaws, his answer is, well, how on earth am I going to learn to juggle? Um, I love that one. (laughs) But there's a great joke uh, which I've always loved, which is very simple and not, you know, not to everybody's taste. But in our family, we just find this hilarious, which is when Calvin and Hobbes discover the toaster. And Calvin demonstrates to Hobbes that you put the bread in and you press down the lever and then you wait. And then toast pops out. And Hobbes says, but where does the bread go? And Calvin says, beats me, I don't know. And for some reason, we've always loved that joke in our in our family. But Calvin and Hobbes overall is oh, just, brilliant. it's an astonishing um, comic strip. Ten years, and then Bill Waterston basically says, no, that's it, I'm finished, I've done it. Turns his back and goes off to learn how to play guitar. And we've just left with the collections... And they are just, honestly, the collected Calvin and Hobbes is just a marvel. And like I say, um, you'll find something of everything in there. You'll find philosophy, you'll find action and adventure, um, you'll find some very sad moments, and then you'll find just these wonderful jokes and his wonderful funny drawings. Um, Yeah, that's what I would tell people at Ely Cathedral. I'd say, I wish you'd got the complete Calvin and Hobbes in here, along with the weird stained glass museum. (laughs) <laughs> fantastic i'm interested by that stained glass museum i have to uh, drop by it could drop by at some point um it may not but, survive uh, the apocalypse yeah no stained glass is probably going to be the first thing to go isn't it like just a, just the reverberation of the asteroid yeah. impact is gonna shatter everything um but uh yeah no oh man uh that is so brilliant the the the, the toast joke um it's uh absolutely fantastic and that that's the type of joke that can make you chuckle every single day like however many times you hear it you still chuckle <laughs> i always smile when i see that for those four panels always <laughs> absolutely fantastic uh now uh changing gears um what's the saddest comic that you've read so I could almost stick with Calvin Hobbes and talk about when the raccoon dies, but I won't do that bit. I will talk about, <laughs> I'll talk, I will, I will do the British invasion and follow Alan Moore um, across the pond um, to uh, his absolutely classic run on Saga of the Swamp Thing, um, which, you know, again, redefined comics, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just sensational. Again, there's so much in there. But I've chosen the uh, Swamp Thing Annual number two from 1985, titled Down Amongst the Dead Men. Now, I know Swamp Thing's been discussed before, Sam. For anybody who doesn't know, what Alan did that was so groundbreaking was to uh, wipe out, in a way, the Swamp Thing's um, hope of regaining his humanity by actually proving that he'd never been this character, Alex Holland, all along. He'd actually just been this walking mass of sort of animated vegetation that thought had Alex Holland's uh, memories, and so thought was Alex Holland, but he wasn't. And in the famous anatomy lesson um, issue, he 
Alan Moore basically uh, establishes this and changed comics forever. And he's been building up, there's been all sorts of horrible stuff happening in Swamp Thing's life and in the life of um, Abigail Cable, this female character in the book. There's been all sorts of horrible stuff going on, really scary stuff in the previous issues. Alan Moore had also hinted or he'd sort of resolved the Alex Holland storyline in an issue called The Burial, where um, Swamp Thing goes and rescues the skeleton of Alex Holland from the swamp and buries it, gives it a decent burial. And then in this annual, I'll try and get to the point, honest Sam, in this annual, (laughs) what's happening is um, Swamp Thing has to travel to the mystic realms of DC Comics in order to try and find Abigail Cable's soul, which has been banished to hell. And this gives them a chance, Alan Moore and Steve Bissett and John Tottleburn, the artist, it gives them a chance to do a lot of DC sort of paranormal, um, strange characters, the dead man, the phantom stranger, um, Jack Kirby's the demon character all appear. Um, At one point, Swamp Thing finds himself on a hillside in heaven and meets Alex Holland, the, the, the character, the man he thought he was. And Alex Holland, after chatting to Swamp Thing, sees a woman, beautiful woman, coming over the hill and says, oh, it's Linda, my wife Linda. She wants to meet you. Do you want to go? Do you want to meet her? And you get this incredible moment, this this look in the eyes of Swamp Thing, because Swamp Thing has got Alex Holland's memory. Swamp Thing thinks he was married and was in love with Linda Holland, and there's this incredible look in this character's red, monstrous eyes, and it's almost done silently. And then Swamp Thing, I won't try to do Swamp Thing's slow, gravelly voice, but just Swamp Thing says. No, I don't think so. And the emotion in that panel and in that sort of like line of dialogue and the sort of the stuff that's going through Swamp Thing while he's on this weird paranormal quest, which is going to take him from literally from heaven to hell. um, For some reason, Sam, that's always stuck with me. It's always made me feel sad, always made me feel this sort of, this humanity that he thought he had that's then taken away from him um, in the anatomy lesson and then what he becomes as a result of that. So, yeah, Swamp Things, annual number two, 1985, Dan Amongst the Dead Man. Uh, I should do the creators. Moore, uh, Bissett, Tottleburn, um, probably uh, Tatiana Wood on colours and John Costanza, I think, on letters. Um, Great stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know it comes up on your podcast uh, quite a lot. Have you ever got... Oh, yeah. ever got <laughs> it was in the top 10, I think, wasn't it? It was. It was last year, yeah, totally. Um, that it's, that it's been, uh, yeah, um, it's been mentioned, yeah, a fair, a fair <laughs> few times. But yeah. it's been quite a while, actually, since somebody mentioned something. It's always um, uh, worth worth bringing it to, to the head and, and some people have it in different categories as well for different reasons and uh yeah obviously that's a that's a very emotional um reason that and 
yeah, it's it's just it, it amazes me how much that can um, affect affect you, um, and it's it's just amazing like to have the panel and the and the dialogue and just that moment of impact. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's uh, great stuff, and the whole animal run is just uh, terrific. You know, and again, it's one of those comics that could almost pop up in every category here. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and speaking of other categories, um, moving on to the next question, what's the scariest comic that you've read? So these two comics by two classic British creators could almost have changed place, but I have gone for scariest. I've gone with Neil Gaiman this time and Sandman, issue six uh, from 1989, a story called 24 Hours. And very quickly, this has been in the TV show as well last year. This is the episode where a very old Justice League villain called Dr. D has got the Dreamstone. He turns up in a diner, an American 24-hour diner, and for 24 hours basically um, sort of mentally torments, plays with the uh, the people who happen to find themselves trapped in this diner, he keeps them stuck in there. He makes them play out weird fantasies. Um, it's it's one of the most uh, sort of graphic episodes of The Sandman. It showed Neil Gaiman, uh, I think, turning away from the DC sort of 1970s horror hosts who had appeared in the comic. They they turn up as characters in the comic, but he's sort of turning away from that 1970s horror to a much more, um, I'm guessing, you know, appropriate for the 1980s, 1990s, sort of real world, real life horror, where the horror in this book is just what people do to each other. And it's always disturbed me. Um, I actually have trouble sometimes rereading this issue because it is so disturbing and unpleasant. Um Again, I think the whole run of Sandman is superb. I've done a whole podcast series about it with my daughter, Jenny. But that one issue is the one that really troubles me and bothers me and scares me um, much more than those sort of gothic horror archetypes that both Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman mm. sometimes used and played with. And why, why do you think that is? Do you think it's just, you know, the fact... Uh, how did Neil Gaiman come up with these concepts or... Well, I, I mean, I have heard him talk about it briefly and saying, you know, he wanted to trap a group of people in a situation and just have them do the worst things imaginable to each other. And it is, I think, um, you know, I suppose appropriate enough that I'm sheltering after this asteroid impact apocalypse that I'm hoping that the worst things that people can do to each other doesn't come the way of me and mine um you know i'm hoping i'm with the good <laughs> yeah. people because if you've, you if bet. we watch apocalypse movies there's a lot of bad stuff goes on it seems so <laughs> just a bit yeah <laughs> um yeah certainly um survival instinct kicks in and uh all bets are off basically after that aren't they <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. yeah hopefully be being in a cathedral will uh hopefully save you from uh from anything of that sort so yeah uh yeah 
totally. Uh, now, uh, moving on to my favourite question, and that is, what is your favourite cover? So, I thought I should be reaching for British comics. Um, mm-hmm. There's so many great covers. There's so many wonderful 2000 AD covers. There's those famous Brian Bolland, <clears throat> Judge Death um, covers, all that sort of stuff. Kevin O'Neill, who's recently left us, did some wonderful covers. But I've actually gone, again, I've, this time I've gone to Mexico. Uh, Love and Rockets by the Hernandez brothers is celebrating, or I think it's just last year, celebrated 40 years of consistent output of small town storytelling, just very human slice of life stuff, slightly more sort of cartoony and fantastical when it's done by Jaime Hernandez, slightly more gritty and realistic when it's done by Gilbert Hernandez. And in front of me, I've got Fantagraphics, um, from Fantagraphics books, Love and Rockets, uh, issue 24, which is from 1987. I'm I'm very much in the 80s at the moment. Um, And this is, for anybody who knows Love and Rockets, this is the black and red uh, rock concert cover um it's by Jaime Hernandez it has always stood out to me as being just one of the most exciting covers I've ever seen uh I'll describe it quickly it's a it's basically a band on stage uh we can see a sort of side-on view of two of the band members playing their instruments the lead guitarist is going for it uh, the bass guitarist, who is a character called Maggie, is sort of more um, quiet and reserved and into her music. The audience, the sort of the crowd in the mosh pit, we can see are really sort of, you know, into it as well. It's done, it's all done originally in black and white, and then they added the single red colour to it. Uh, I think in the comics at the, at the time, the band was called something like Ape Sex, I think. But don't quote me on that. The band went through lots of different names, um, <laughs> and it's it's just weird. It's just this it's this wonderful piece of artwork by um, Jaime Hernandez um, that seems to sum up to me what the medium can do. Uh, it sums up the excitement of being at a rock concert, and of course, you know. I know people are going back to concerts and mosh pits now. We all, we all had a while off. I haven't been to one for a while, but the sort of like that feeling of being sort of crammed in at the front at the stage while the band are really just going for it. Um, it's I've seen the black and white version, which I almost love even more because I've got a great love for black and white comics. I think the black and white version. I hope it's hanging in a museum somewhere, in a gar- an art gallery somewhere, because it's it deserves yeah. to be. And you know, the covers for the Fantagraphics Love and Rocket series, you can get a book of just the covers, which is wonderful. I've got that on the Kindle. Um, so yeah, that one, Love and Rockets twenty four, yeah, uh, the rock concert one. It's just exciting, Sam. It is. It's it, it's it's a fun fun cover. And the, the the one question that I've got is, I wonder how how the woman 
with the heels in the air under the legs of the of the lead guitar like yeah under the legs of the lead guitarist how she ended up in that position because we can only see her heels and then like her legs leading to what i assume is her skirt like how has she got it so that her legs are almost on the stage? Like, did she get up on the stage and then dive back into the crowd? Or did like, the crowd, so. like, I don't know how, what's, what's going on there. It could be Penny Century, a character from the comics who's done a stage dive. She's got up on stage and then she's done the dive into the crowd. Yeah. And all you that can see sense. are her feet. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know. And again, I just love that detail. That's great. Yes, like, I know. Because yeah, you, you you can look at all the faces, and then eventually you kind of clock onto the fact that there's just there's two feet in the middle. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay, what? So what's going on there? And it makes you question what is going on. And it wants. To, and, I guess it makes you want to open the open the book. <laughs> and Pat Mills, who I know has been a sort of regular guest on your show, uh, often talks about the sort of punk energy in in two thousand AD. And this cover has got real punk energy in comics. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it would, you know, I'm sure it's a sort of cover that would annoy and irritate some art critics and so on. But I just love it. It's <laughs> always stood out to me, always makes me happy when I see it. And it pops up quite a lot on the feeds. It popped up a lot last year for the 40th. Um, and yeah, it's just this this wonderful piece of artwork that I would uh, love to see hanging up somewhere in an art gallery and go and be able to appreciate. You bet. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Uh, Now, moving on to our next question. Uh, What comic do you repeatedly read the most? So, um, as I say, I make my beat doing Mega City Book Club largely at 2000 AD. I've read a lot of Judge Dredd. (laughs) I've read lots (laughs) of Judge Dredd over and over again. Um, I mean, I was thinking about this. I had other comics that, uh, you know, Swamp Thing, Sandman, uh, another comic that's going to come up, Calvin and Hobbes, I reread and reread. But probably because of my podcast, probably because of the way this Judge Dredd story ties in so much of the history of Judge Dredd, um, The Dead Man by John Wagner and John Ridgway from 1989-1990. The Judge Dredd story, I've spoiled it already by telling you it's a Judge Dredd story. I don't know if you've ever come across this one, Sam. I I think I've heard of it before, but um, I'm not sure if it's actually appeared on the pod. So, yeah, this this might be a first. (laughs) Okay, so this is um, 32, 33, 34 years old this uh, story big spoilers coming up if you don't want to be spoiled for the dead man then you need to skip forward for the next couple of minutes but basically um a character appears in the cursed uh, or cursed earth that surrounds mega city one a character who doesn't know who he is a character who's been terribly burnt and scarred and has no memories and who goes on a quest voyage with a young boy from one of the mutant townships that live uh, that survive in the cursed earth away from Mega City One, and he goes on this quest uh, in which he and the boy will face uh, adventure and action and terrors in order to try and find out who he is, and the reveal of who the dead man actually is is 
probably the one of the biggest moments in 2000 AD history. It was pulled off beautifully by John Wag, uh, Wagner. It's got astonishing black and white John Ridgway art. I'm lucky enough to own a page, an original page from this story. Nice. I've read it uh, so many times. It's a fairly slim trade paperback now, so it's quite a quick read. Uh, but it's got the horror in there. It's got some sort of cursed earth, sort of um, sci-fi Western stuff going on in there. And then it's got the biggest reveal, the biggest twist uh, in 2080 history. It is just marvellous. It's come up several times on my podcast. I've read it so many times. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, again, it's just great comics. So wonderful stuff. Fantastic. And there, so I didn't really quite give away the spoiler, but I'll tell you off air. No, that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or uh yeah, no, I might um I might just get it myself and then uh and then I'll 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 read it. Um again, this is this is where I get all of my comics reading from, is from the podcast. So <laughs> I'll 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 go buy it and uh and then uh read it for myself. But uh, it's so good to have something that you can go back to and enjoy again and again and again isn't it yeah and it's it's got john ridgeway's art is that he's very black and white british comics it's sort of like he harks mm. back to an earlier age he's got uh some horror chops as well you know it does good horror stuff like i say i've got a page from it which is wonderful um it's just great it's a great story and it managed to pull off something which they've never done before or since i don't think they'd be able to um uh, yeah, amazing stuff. Fantastic. Brilliant. Uh, now, moving on uh, to another of my favourite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? So, so many of the comics that we've talked about have got, you know, a bit of everything in there, and they've got meaning in there. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes does, Swamp Thing, Sandman, um Love and Rocket certainly does that. But I've chosen another 2000 AD uh, masterpiece. It's Alan Moore again. It's Alan Moore and Ian Gibson on The Ballad of Halo Jones. And in particular, I've chosen book three of Halo Jones. So for anybody who doesn't know, Halo Jones from 2000 AD, uh, originally in black and white, it's now since been coloured and released in trade paperback uh, coloured. Um, but it was, it's Alan Moore's great unfinished early masterpiece about this young woman in a science fiction dystopia future. Uh, and all she wants to do is get away from her terrible humdrum, uh, boring life on Earth and go out into the into space, into the cosmos and discover things. And in book three, which sadly became the last book because he then walked away from 2000 AD and it's never been finished. But in book three, Halo Jones discovers um, basically war, future war in space. And she becomes a soldier in a predominantly female army. And again, it's meaningful, I think, Sam, because... It's got a bit of everything. It's got comedy. It's got some good jokes. It's got some scares. It's got incredible sadness. 
um, Halo Jones gets a friend and then loses that friend in one of the sort of saddest moments uh, in my comic reading history. And if we sort of look back on that British comics tradition, particularly of war stories for boys, particularly like the Victor with all its stories of people who won medals by doing incredibly heroic things, storming machine gun nests and and everything. And there's a certain sort of jingoistic boys' own adventure to that sort of story. And then Alan Moore does a story in the 80s that says, actually, war's terrible. People in war are having the worst possible time they are scared all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Terrible things happen at random to their friends. Um, now, I'm sure other listeners and readers would say that actually British comics in the 70s, things like Pat Mills's legendary Charlie's War, had already been doing this, and that's true. But for me, it was Halo Jones. Reading Halo Jones book three, um, this remarkable character who you've grown to sort of like love um, by reading the previous two volumes. And then in this third one, and she's just in war, and it's terrible. It's awful. Um, and at the end of it, she gets a, an escape, and she literally ends with her going out, just out. And that was the end of book three, and we never got to finish the story. We never got to find out what happened to her next. But it's just... Mm-hmm. I just think it's, again, it's a wonderful comic. The whole of Halo Jones is, fortunately, or maybe unfortunately, it's quite short again. It's not a long read. Um, You could knock this one off fairly quickly. Um, It's my favourite thing, I think, that Alan Moore did for 2000 AD, certainly, is Halo Jones. And I just love book three to death. I just uh, think it's a masterpiece. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, and then what's the most underrated comic? So I thought I'd, I'd come up to date and choose a more modern comic. Um, 2018 again, in the last five years, uh, Dan Abnett, who is prodigious in his output in terms of what he writes for 2018 and other comics and other books and novels and so on, uh, Dan Abner with the artist I.N.J. Colbard, uh, Colbard, who, of course, you've had on this podcast, I believe. So. Precisely. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Uh, they've been doing a science fiction comic for 2008 called Brink uh, about the end of humanity. Humanity, uh, it's another post-apocalypse. In this mm. case, the whatever the unknown apocalypse has happened to Earth, and we have escaped into huge space tin can sort of colony satellite stations where we all live in these cramped uh, space stations. And then they do that and they give us a murder mystery. They give us a sort of cults mystery. It's a police procedural. It's got a strong female lead who is our main character. It adds in some possibly Lovecraftian space horrors. It's ongoing. It's still happening. I think book the collected book five is now out or will be out very shortly. Um, mm. And it's just 
it's just great comics. Iron, G. Colbert, Iron J. Colbard or Ian Colbard does wonderful things with just a few lines. Um, it's beautifully coloured. And then Dan Abner and his endless imagination, his endless storytelling uh, abilities. Um, I'm always happy when Brink returns to the pages of 2000 AD. Um, and I highly recommend it. I recommend picking up the first volume um it's just great fun and again just great comics and it makes you think fantastic and it, it kind of yeah just shows there are, there are some really good <clears throat> comics out there um they just uh it'd be, it'd be great if it had even more coverage i mean 2000 ad obviously is is some some great coverage but perhaps it just needs a bit more of a boost elsewhere yeah yeah Check out Brink by Abnett and Colbard. It's wonderful. Fantastic. Now, coming on to our final question, and that is if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? It's a tricky one uh, because any of the ones that I've uh, mentioned, you know, would be wonderful books to have. Um you know, despite my love for Love and Rockets, I haven't read all 40 years of it. Uh, so, you know, the apocalypse might be an opportunity. But I think I'm going to pick one that's fairly easy to to, to transport. Um, the new collected edition, which is in colour, will be out, I think, in 2023. Uh, it will still be a fairly slim trade paperback. And that's The Ballad of Halo Jones, the complete Halo Jones, all three books. Um, I suspect I'll be able to stuff that in my rucksack, take it with me. Uh, There'll be bits in there that will make me laugh. There'll be bits in there that will make me cry. There'll be bits in there that will scare me, bits in there that inspire me. And there'll be the end where I just think maybe in this post-apocalyptic landscape, maybe there's a chance that we might just get out we might be able to get out of this uh and escape and recreate some sort of life after the asteroid has wiped out the southern hemisphere um uh so yeah i'm going to choose the complete ballad of Halo jones by alan maureen gibson um and it, it's it's a nice easy one to sort of carry around with me and show to other people as well and i won't be i won't mind if it gets you know well thumbed and uh well used it can be stuffed in the backpack and uh it will just be wonderful to have beautiful nice now uh in addition to that what weapon tool or useful item would you like to take with you as well no weapons <laughs> so i'm not i'm not <laughs> yeah. gonna no weapons no tattoos no no mohawk haircut or nose change <laughs> you're not going mad max I'm not going the Mad Max route. Um, so I am a, I'm now retired. I'm a retired NHS doctor. Uh, so therefore, as my friend Conrad from the Space Spinner 2000 podcast says, I have a serviceable skill. I think my only chance of being taken in with the good guys is if I can use my skills as a doctor. Because I'm, I'm figuring... You know, we're going to need medics in uh, the post-apocalyptic uh, yeah, situation. Definitely. <laughs> and usually when you watch one of these post-apocalyptic films or series, they end up with a vet or a dentist or a, 
uh, you know, a chiropractor or something, don't they? So here is an actual doctor. I am going to grab my black doctor's bag, which has got my diagnostic kit and some simple uh, treatments and bandages and the sort of first aid kit stuff in there. And I'm going to hope that my first, you know, my doctor's bag and my um, past uh, work as a doctor will qualify me to get in with the good guys and that they'll, they'll, they'll let me in and that I'll have a useful skill. So that that's going to be my magic item, as it were, Sam, is the doctor's bag. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm sure you, you'll be uh, accepted with open arms <laughs> into uh, into the good guy community. <laughs> and I can stuff the complete Halo Jones in there as well. So, you know, exactly. I can prescribe All comics sorts. as medicine. So, you know. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, totally. A bit, a bit of art therapy. It's really, yeah, it's, exactly. uh, it all works really good fantastic well Avon Clark thank you so much for sharing your comics for the apocalypse it's been a real pleasure it's been fantastic Sam thank you so much uh, for giving me the opportunity I hope I haven't waffled on too long but yeah aren't comics great you know 2023 let's have more Absolutely. great comics oh let's hope so and I'm, I'm sure we will um, particularly with DUI 3 um, and for the listeners one more time where, where, where can they find DUI 3 and uh, Mega City Book Club as well. Uh, so, megacitybookclub.com uh, is for DUI, well, is where you'll find the podcast. DUI uh, 2 and 3 you'll find on the Big Cartel, and I'm just looking for the Big Cartel address. <laughs> Which I believe is duicomic.bigcartel.com. There you go. So, yes, Mega City Book Club is where you'll find the podcast, and there's episodes every two weeks, including an episode coming out uh, probably within days of this one, starring Sam uh, himself. And DUI mm. Comic, you can find at duicomic.bigcartel.com uh, or email me duicomic3 at gmail.com if you're interested in getting involved with the third issue and pitching me something either writing or art or both together fantastic brilliant uh well thanks again Eamon and uh yeah i hope uh that, that our paths will cross once again at nottingham and uh, yeah see you at nottingham yeah. sam absolutely thanks again Eamon take care cheers bye thanks again to Eamon for being on comics for the apocalypse it was an absolute pleasure if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast service you use, as not only will we know that you liked it, but the, but I believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Eamon's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the near future, I'll see you next time. Bye for now.